Welcome, folks. The clock on my laptop has ticked over to nine o'clock, and I am feeling that special rush of fear and adrenaline that comes when I click go on a Zoom webinar. And that means it is time to start Money School. I hope you all had a great week. I'm just setting up my screen here, getting all my windows where they need to be. Chat window open, attendees window open, Q&A windows open. Got my slides here, and that means we are good to go. We're ready to start. I hope that some of you had a good experience with your homework in the last week. Uh, and I'm curious if any of you would raise your hands. I don't know whether we'll take time right now to chat with you or if maybe it can come up later, but raise your hands if you went through last week's homework of writing down some compassionately curious sentences about your, your spending. And I'm curious if any of you would raise your hands if you had any interesting experiences or epiphanies with that process. Oh, good, I see a few hands going on. And I'm happy to see that. That's great, that's fun. Do the homework. You know, I'll try to make the homework each week small enough that it that you feels like you can tackle it and uh, at the same time compelling, at the same time useful. You get something out of it, sparks some new thinking, maybe sets you on the path to some different thoughts and feelings and habits. So yeah, I'm glad to hear you, you, uh, you took some time with that. Maybe later on, if we have some time, I'll invite some of you or one or two of you on screen and we'll chat about your homework and what you learned from it. But let's jump into tonight's material. Tonight, we're gonna talk, let me share my screen. We're gonna talk about spending. We're gonna talk about spending, we're gonna talk about expenses. And I'm gonna open with this quote from a while back in my life where somebody said, you know, I really feel bad for Mark's wife. And in a few minutes, I'll tell you the story of why the person said that, what the, what the circumstances were. But first, I wanna start with a question. What do you really want? Over the last eight, seven years, about seven years that I've been in this business, I've had a chance to have, I think, over a thousand conversations with people about their financial goals. You know, mostly in a business setting where people are talking about what they want to do with their business, very often in a personal setting where they're talking about what they'd like to change and experience in their personal finances. And I almost always ask them, so what do you really want from this? What, what are you hoping to accomplish here? What does success look like for you? And I'm sure all of you have experienced some sort of goal setting instruction or books or blog posts. And one of the first questions is always, what do you really want? Now, the interesting thing that I've noticed is that people, when you ask them what they really want, they will give you all their aspirational stuff, big goals, big dreams, stuff in the future, um, you know, the home they want to have, the trips they want to take. By the way, specifically, I've noticed a pattern in, in this. I have very often over the years interviewed women. Most of my bosses over the years have been women. It's been great. And they're often new entrepreneurs. And I'm often asking them, what do you want to get from your business? And an interesting pattern has emerged. So often, the women I'm talking to about starting their businesses, when I ask them, what do you want to do with this business? What, what's kind of the big benefit to you in your personal life from having this business? And with very few exceptions, they tell me that they want to take the profits from their business and they want to take their family on amazing vacations. And the first time that happened, I thought, oh, that's really nice. That's, that's, that's a great goal, a great aspiration. And then it kept happening over and over and over again. And I think that's great. I just think it's an interesting pattern. 
it's part of the overall pattern I observe, which is when I ask people what they want, they give me their aspirations. But the reason what we're, we're doing tonight is interesting is that if I want to know what you want, I actually don't even have to talk to you. All I need is access to your, oh, somebody just gave me a heads up about my mic. Thank you very much. I don't know why it switches. Thank you. This mic that now sounds better to you all is the default. I don't know why it sometimes switches. Thank you very much, Danita. Okay. So I don't have to actually talk to you if I want to know what you really want. All I have to have access to is your bank statements and your credit card statements. And some of you might have just had like a seizing feeling in your chest like, oh no, no one's allowed to see my bank statements and my credit card statements. But don't worry. I've done this a lot. There's no judgment or criticism that comes up for me when I review someone's financial history, their transactions. I just get a sense for what they care about. I get a sense for what they want. You see, you'll tell me, if I ask what you want, you'll tell me your aspirations. But if I want to know what you want, I just have to look where your money is going. And I can come back to you and say, hey, I don't know if you even know that you want this, but let me show you some patterns in your spending that prove what you want. Because your votes are your dollars. You're showing me what you want and what you care about by sending your dollars in those directions. That's why studying our spending can actually be really powerful for helping us understand ourselves, understand our, our thoughts and our beliefs, some of our fears. All of those things actually can come up in a simple review of a credit card statement. Okay. By the way, can you guys see my screen? Can you see my slides? Okay, good. Just had a couple of people in the chat, maybe I was getting the impression they couldn't see those things. And I wanted to make sure. Okay, great. So some of you might be worried that when I say that, you might be anxious. You might think, well, he doesn't understand my circumstances. It's not a normal time of life for me. Uh, you know, we're going through something right now. I don't know if my credit card statement or my bank statements would be the accurate representation of what I really care about. I don't know if that's fair. Just relax. We're not passing final judgment. We're not sorting people into piles, good with money, bad with money, foolish, smart, none of that. What we're doing is we're using our financial histories to teach us and, and tell us something about where we are today and what we're thinking about today. So it's very important for you to understand that as you go to do this week's homework, I want you to remember that your spending habits reveal your values, but not your value. When I say that it reveals your values, I mean it reveals what you care about today, but it doesn't reveal whether you're a good or a bad person. It doesn't reveal whether you're necessarily a happy or a sad person or quote unquote off track or quote unquote on track. It just reveals what you care about today. I happen to believe that your value as a person is set, it's infinite, it can't be changed. So when I look at your, your, your spending, I'm not trying to figure out what you are, like who you are or whether you're a good person. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on and what you care about. I hope you'll apply that same idea to yourself as you start to study your transactions. So it's early in the call, but we're gonna do the homework. We're gonna talk about the homework first, or we're gonna uh, give you the homework first and then talk about it a little bit. 
So at a high level, this week's homework is to study your spending to uncover what you're buying, how much of it you're buying, and most important of all, why you're buying, okay? Let me share a couple of stories about this. Let me take you back to 2013-ish when I heard, when somebody said about me, uh, or about really about my wife, they said, you know, I really feel bad for Mark's wife. The backstory is at the end of 2012, I sold some businesses. And that sounds cool and it was fun, but I sold them for amounts of money that amounted to basically a really fun month and now it's time to go get a job. I kind of, I'd been in and, out of, in and out of debt. I owed the IRS some money and I sold these businesses, paid off some of the debt and kind of limped away and I had to go get a job. My very good friend, Jesse Meekum, who owns a company called You Need a Budget, gave me a job as his staff writer. So for pretty much almost all of 2013, Every day I was writing a blog post on the Unity Budget blog about my finances because I didn't have really any other thoughts about finances. I hadn't studied it. I didn't understand myself when it came to finances. I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. So I was basically just journaling on the Unity Budget blog about my personal finance journey. During that process, I thought, you know what? For the first time ever, I'm going to dig deep on my own spending. Now, by the way, the reason you keep hearing me say I and my, even though I'm married, is I don't want to speak too much for my wife. Most of this stuff is my stuff, meaning my issues, my kind of some of my weird habits from the time. Um, so I am married, of course, happily, and we, we share finances, et cetera. But when I'm talking about this, I tend to say I and my because I'm really talking about my stuff, not so much her stuff. But I started to dig, dig deep on my stuff in this blogging process, and I thought, I want to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. So what I did was I dug deep on every single little bit of spending in my life. I checked my transactions every single day. I totaled them up. I categorized them. And above all else, I started to ask myself, why am I spending this money this way? And at the time, Kate and I did go through an exercise for about a 30-day period where we put everything on the table. We decided to make every single area of consumption in our life optional including our home, our cars. Uh, I remember talking about private kindergarten for my son who was at the time in private kindergarten, uh, cell phones. I mean, everything, we were putting everything on the table and we were saying, what if we did this differently? What if we spent this money differently or what if we didn't stop spending it all together? We even spent quite a bit of time talking about our house and saying, Look, you know, when I was self-employed, when I owned these businesses, I was earning over 150,000 per year. That was providing for us, it was paying for this house. And then when I went to go work for Jesse, my, my income went from over 150,000 a year down to 70,000 per year. And obviously that's more than a 50% difference. And so we were feeling like maybe we have to change our spending drastically. So we even considered, should we sell the house? Should we move into an apartment or a townhome? And we sat with that, that idea for a few weeks. It gave us the opportunity to ask ourselves, what are our actual reasons for staying in this house? What are we, why are we tied up in this house? We ultimately decided to stay because a couple of reasons. One, we realized that the cash flow impact, meaning the actual dollar savings of moving from our house to a townhouse or to like a three bedroom apartment at the time, it wasn't that big of a savings. 
And then for us, fact, we factored in our neighborhood, the neighborhood where our son's growing up, the friends he has, the relationships we have, sense of normalcy and consistency we have. We looked at all that and I said, I realized that staying in the house was important enough to me at the time that even if it meant getting a second job or starting a side hustle while I worked at You Need a Budget, it was worth it if it meant being able to stay in our home. What was interesting about that is that amount of clarity that we ended up having about the house in particular put me back on the path to self-employment because within about a year, I realized this job is amazing. I love it, but there's not really a lot of opportunity for me to grow my income in this particular position. That knocked over some dominoes that eventually put me back into self-employment. And, you know, seven years later, here we are. I'm, I'm the money guy for some businesses and now hopefully for you. It all started with a deep study of our spending and a willingness to view it as totally optional. Now, in the course of writing all these blog posts, as I was diving deep and I was nitpicking every single little thing, and you know, should I raise the thermostat or should I lower the thermostat from 78 degrees to 77 degrees and how many dollars would that save? And what about these other light bulbs? And if I ride my bike to work, I can save this much on gas. As I'm going through this whole process, there was a, a guy who frequently commented on my blog posts. And on one of the blog posts, he said, and by the way, he was joking. He was a good, good spirited guy. He said, man, I feel bad for Mark's wife right now. He's basically going to hyperanalyze every, every paper towel she uses in the kitchen. You know, every, every bottle of nail polish, anything she buys, Mark's going to want to make a whole spreadsheet about that one thing. And she and I laughed because he was absolutely right at the time. That's where I was mentally digging into every single little thing as a process of self-discovery. So here's where I want to start our chat tonight. If I can get our chat on the window. As I say these things, as I share a couple of these stories, are any of you, any of you sort of having a, an anxious moment, a panic attack? Like, I don't know if I can get myself to look at my expenses. That's a little too scary for me. Or does, it, does any of this spark anything that somebody wants to jump on screen and chat with me about? If so, put your hand up in the air and we... We'll have a chat. Okay, I've got one hand up. I've got Catherine. So Catherine, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. I'm going to promote you to panelist. And then having done that, I'm gonna make sure that you can start your video if you choose to. I think you should now have the ability to start your video, Catherine. There you are. Can I hear you? Oh, you're muted. Last time you didn't have people come on video. <laughs> I can't hear you, can you hear me? Yes. We're doing the I can't hear you, can you hear me game? Can you hear me now though? You're, you're muted. No, I unmuted. Maybe pick a different uh, pick a different mic. Oh, everyone's saying we can hear her. It's not your fault. It's mine. Please hold. Speaker. Can that you was hear me now? Start talking, Catherine. Can you hear me now? Perfect. Thanks, everybody. I was saying you didn't have us on video last time, so I wasn't expecting that. Well, you can see it's kind of two steps forward, one step back. I figured out the video, but then I couldn't hear it. Anyway, that's okay. Got it there. 
Nice to meet you. What's going on? Nice to meet you. Um, I guess, uh, so you were talking about your, how you and you're married, obviously, and yeah. you were talking about your own problems. Yeah. Well, I'm also married, but I, my, my husband and I don't really share money. So when you're talking about this, like, I mean, we share money in the, like, he gives me money sometimes and I have my own account and I don't really share my money with him, but he like <laughs> shared his money with me. I don't know okay. if that's normal for everybody. Maybe Sorry, here's why I just laughed. I laughed not because that's inappropriate. I laughed because my wife and I have a running joke. She's listening right now and she's laughing. <laughs> I know she is. We have a running joke where I say, yes, we, our marriage is amazing because what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. <laughs> and she always laughs and we, it's how it is. It's all good. So, okay. So he shares money with you sometimes. Keep talking. And I, I, I guess when you're talking about like really digging into your finances and like figuring it all out, mm -hmm. I feel like we should be doing it together, but I feel like I'm going to have to do it separately. So I'm having a little anxiety about this. Like how, how am I going to figure out and dig into finances when a lot of our finances, like he pays for and he deals with and like, are all things that, but I don't really do any of that. You know what I mean? I might know what you mean. Um, so can you tell me, have you two consciously decided to have this be the way the finances operate? Yes. And can you tell me what that sounds like or what, what was that conversation? So I have always been very stressed about money. And so when I'd watch how he spent the money, it like, uh, it, it would, ups it would upset me. Like I did not, I didn't like what he spent the money on. I didn't like how he was spending the money. So we separated our finances so that I didn't have, like you spend your money now on what you want and I don't have to see it. And then I don't have to get upset about it. Not that that, I know that that's all relative but okay. so that's why we split like I just he's on my account I'm on his account so we could but I just don't I don't look at what he spends his money on now because I it would upset me okay um so when you separate the finances uh do you each have income yes okay so his income flows into his account your income flows into your account yes and with this setup you now feel safe and comfortable in a way you didn't before. Yes. Okay. Now I've, I've interacted with some couples over the years who run something similar. And sometimes what they'll do is they'll be like, um, the, the couple, the person who's primarily responsible for say paying a mortgage or paying the bills and stuff, they almost like invoice the spouse and say, Hey, here's, here's your half of all the stuff for this month. Write me a check. Yeah, we don't do that. Oh, you don't do that. He does. He just sort of make himself responsible for all the bills. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he pays. I don't think that's weird or bad. I want you to he know. He pays for everything. He pays for all of it. And I, I think the conversation was like you, like I do have some credit card debt. I do have like my own student loans. I have some of that. Like I have my own stuff that I pay for. So I pay my own credit cards. I pay my own. And I'm supposed to be responsible for groceries but usually he has to pay for that too because I never have any money but um <laughs> <laughs> why don't you ever have any money what are we talking about here I don't know I spend it all I'm not sure okay you it's like I just I'm parachuting in here Catherine I'm trying to like trying to wrap wrap my head around what's going on okay which is there's nothing wrong that's going on it's interesting that you're 
It's interesting that you were saying the way he was spending the money was stressing you out. You know, stop. <laughs> you know where this is going? Yes. I don't. And you're being very good spirited about it. I, I want you to know that you're not on trial here. So what you were doing- Well, I raised my hand for this, I guess, but I, yeah, but I just- It doesn't mean you're on trial. It just means okay. you're, we're, we're exploring together. Okay. So you were- you were sort of not loving how he was spending the money. So you wanted to separate the finances mm -hmm. so that you, so I will, I will admit that the conclusion I jumped to is that you would probably be then sort of more the, the frugal or the money hoarder or like, well, he's, he's wasteful with money. So I want my money separate so I can put it into piles and stack it up. Yes. But, but then when you just said that and you just explained, I just, there was, I think there was a reversal of roles somewhere in like the, somewhere along the line. Like it was like, I was like that when we first got married and then he was always spending. And I don't know if I looked at it and said, that's not fair that he always gets to spend and I never get to spend. And so then there was this like reversal of roles and now he's making a lot more money than he used to make before. And so he does have a lot more income that he can spend obviously than that can, can be spent and so and I'm making a lot less than I used to because I stepped back in how much I chose to work and mm -hmm. so I just I don't know if my spending habits continued to stay the same yet my income was smaller and so that caused me never to have money I mean that would be a reasonable thing I don't think you'd be the first person to experience that yeah I'm very curious about this statement um, I, I resented him because he always got to spend and I didn't. And I'm curious, I, I think I have a guess, but is that because he told you you couldn't spend? No. That was my guess is that he did not say that. No, that, that was never said. I just chose not to spend. And then I was resentful because he chose to spend. And then I was always feeling like I couldn't spend because I didn't want to be in debt or I didn't want to have credit card debt or I didn't want to do this or I didn't want to do that. And very, I'm going to say this later in the class, very normal. We're all normal. <laughs> all of us are. Um, so what was really happening was you were frustrated that he was giving himself permission to spend and you were not giving yourself permission to spend. Yes. And you saw the solution. You saw a separation of the finances as a solution and he was kind of like, all right, do whatever you want. I, I mean, I'm taking a picture of your husband in my head now. I, it could be inaccurate, but he's sort of like, all right, cool. You can have your own thing. Yes. And so then it just slowly turned into, well, you have your own thing and I'll have my own thing. That we don't have to call that dysfunction. Okay. It's only dysfunction if you don't feel good about it and you wish it were different. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm much more happy now than when we shared and I saw everything. So I'm, and I, and I don't know how much his credit card payments are, and I don't know how much all of that is. And I, and I'm fine with that. Okay. But um, I guess when I'm having anxiety about trying to figure out how to navigate my finances now, when it's yeah. just me having to figure out my stuff, when I feel like all of the other stuff that he does is part of it, but not. Well, I'm getting the picture that it really isn't. 
So well, you're in an interesting situation in your marriage because when I go through this exercise and we're this, everybody, this is kind of a sneak preview of the, we're going to do a whole class on kind of money and relationships. When, when Kate, my wife and I, when we, when we're going to have a discussion about money, since we do have everything combined, it would be harder for us to go off and have our own conversation, you know, our own internal conversation about this and make our own decisions without coming together with the other person. Yeah. But in your situation, you actually could. All it looks like for you is you have your own, um, you spend from your own accounts. Yes. You might put money in your account, but you spend from that account pretty much exclusively. If you're swiping a card, it's your card. Yes, I don't use his cards for anything. So you, it actually frees you up to do your own analysis of your own stuff totally independently. So it's actually a good thing. In this case, it, okay. it is a sort of simplification. Okay. Because so my anxiety and my like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this is unwarranted. To me, yes. Uh, if I had more time with you, I'd want to dig into the fact that when I said it's time to study our spending, your brain jumped to wanting to study his spending. Oh, I really don't want to do that. Okay, great. You don't have to. But you were like, well, I need to. I need to bring him in on that conversation. I'm going to have to involve him and I don't want to. Is there any part of you that thinks I really want to know or I should know or something like that? I mean, yes. I, I think there's a little bit of like maybe jealousy of like other people who have relationships where they talk about their money together okay. and they like have this like relationship where they like, discuss those types of things and have like money conversations and they know where their finances are at like a overall picture because I don't I mean I don't I don't know that to me is probably the most interesting outcome of this conversation is that you're realizing that on some level you would like to connect with him on this and you don't know how or don't feel like you can yeah so it's actually not a money conversation it's a relationship conversation yes yes it is <laughs> you're such a good sport yes. by the way everybody do you know how often i'm having money conversations with people and i hear myself saying so this isn't actually a money thing it's the other thing and they're like yeah <laughs> it is and i and i know that i and i know that i guess and that's, we do this because we want to have an opportunity to acknowledge our stuff. Uh, here in a couple of minutes, you're, you'll hear me acknowledging my stuff that started supposedly as a money thing. And then it quickly revealed itself to be not a money thing. Um, but in the meantime, you do, because of the, that part of your relationship, you can go study your own spending. You can see which of those things you can look at the, like I said, the what, the how much, and the why, and then you can decide, do I want to go more, make more money to support more spending? That You get to do that completely independently, like a single person, for better yeah. or for worse. Okay, well, now I feel so much better. I'll just <laughs> okay. study my own stuff. <laughs> and you can just let the other thing just sort of simmer, and you can decide what direction you want to go with that. Okay. Um, as people are saying in the chat, and I want to agree with them, it's really generous of you to come on screen and share that because there is no way that you're, you're the only person in that kind of situation. Yeah. 
So you Thank benefited you for a lot. Your help. Yeah. Great to talk. Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. See ya. All right. Put change you back to an attendee. Okay. I look forward to chatting with. Uh, I see a couple more hands up. So I want to. Um, by the way, if your hand is up right now, I'm taking it as a sign that you want to talk. If you don't want to talk, put your hand down. No worries. Uh, so let, let me get my slides back on the screen here. And I want to, just for examples, I want to put some common spending categories on the screen. Don't worry about writing these down. Scan them. If you're listening to the audio, don't worry about it because I'm going to be in your inbox soon with these list, lists of suggested spending categories. Because the homework I'm asking you to do is there's sort of an accounting version of the homework I'm asking you to do. And then there's like purely a personal discovery pen and paper kind of version of the homework. Now, the personal discovery pen and paper version looks like you opening up a credit card statement or printing one or scanning it online and just scanning your transactions. And as you're scanning them, you're noticing, oh, I see that store a lot. I see that restaurant a lot compared to other things. Oh, I, I see lots of transactions at the gas station, maybe for food, maybe for fuel. You're just noticing these things and you're just asking yourself, why am I doing that? I know I'm getting something from it, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. So what am I doing it for? What am I getting, it from, getting from it? Last week's homework where I asked you to write compassionately curious sentences about your spending or about any part of your finances, followed by the, the question, I wonder why. I was just sort of trying to prep you to open up some space in your head to study your spending and learn something from it. So you don't have to be a bookkeeper like me or a spreadsheet nerd like me or a spreadsheet nerd like many of you are, or many of your spouses or family members are. You don't have to really dig into the every penny sort of adding up a category and making sure it's all accurate, having charts and graphs, you don't have to do any of that. The most basic version of this is scan your transactions, learn from them. Uh, <laughs> Rachel just put in the chat, can Starbucks be considered its own category asking for a friend? Well, your friend, Rachel, should know that Starbucks can absolutely be its own category. See, I've got suggested categories on the screen right now. Here's an even simpler list on the screen right now. And then here's an even simpler list. I'm just showing you these lists to help you understand that there's no wrong way to do this. A version of this that I haven't even put on the screen that Rachel reminded me of is you could, you could actually go through your, your transactions and you could group by store. Sometimes people say to me, I don't know how to deal with Costco or I don't know how to deal with Target because I buy all kinds of household stuff there. I buy clothes there. Sometimes I buy groceries there. And I say, look, don't make this hard on yourself. Have a Target category and just notice how many dollars are spent at Target. And then ask yourself, what am I getting out of these Target trips? What percentage of it would I, would I call sort of utility-driven spending? Like, oh, yes, there's actual function in my life from the thing I got at the store versus entertainment spending versus escapism. All of us have some element of all three of those things in our spending, and it can be easier to access those, meaning analyze and understand those, 
if we make the, the discovery process simple. And the discovery process can literally look like, oh, I spend 400 bucks a month at Target. I spend 1,000 a month at Costco. That's interesting. What am I getting out of that? That's sort of the low-tech, non-accounting version of this. Now, I will encourage you, after you do the low-tech version of this, recruit a nerd, or maybe you are a nerd, lucky you, get a spreadsheet, export a transaction history from your credit card or you, and or your bank uh, in a spreadsheet format, put that data into a spreadsheet, and then sum it up. Put stuff into little piles, do the totals, compare the totals to each other. Let yourself go through that exercise because here's, because here's what you might discover. You might have opportunities to say, oh, this is interesting. I spend as much in restaurants each month as I do on groceries or I spend twice as much at restaurants as I do on groceries, or we really don't spend much on this thing compared to that thing. And you can start to run little comparisons between areas of spending. And in those comparisons, we're not giving ourselves ammunition for self-criticism. We are giving ourselves insights into what we're currently prioritizing. And once we have a really clear understanding of our, of our current priorities, then we're in a position to adjust because we're not flying, uh, flying blind anymore. Um, okay, so just as we've been talking, I've seen a couple of hands go up and so I wanna pause here and chat with folks. Uh, Julie, I've got you with your hand up and I'm happy to bring you on screen. If you're listening and you don't wanna be on screen, put your hand down now, otherwise you're about to be a panelist. Okay, great, let's make you a panelist. And I believe you'll be able to turn on your video. Hi, Julie. Hello. So, um, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Great. I'm doing great. I have a question around: Do you really need a budget? Because, um, like, I feel like I budget, but not in detail. Yes, such a good question. We were headed there and I'm glad you brought it up. Tell me about you budgeting not in detail because we'll probably use you as the example here. So I always make sure I have a certain amount in my bank account and that a certain amount goes into savings. Yep. And then the rest of it, I just get to spend however I need slash want to. And some months I'll have excess and some months I might freak out at my credit card statement, but I always, I always have a cushion and I always, um, okay, that's great. I, I got to interrupt you right there because I have to have you define cushion. When you say I always have a cushion, I need you to, I need to know what you mean. Like a number or you, or whatever pops into your head, you define you, you give me your definition of cushion. Um, I pretty much am not comfortable unless I have $5,000 in my checking account. Perfect. This is very common, by the way, folks, all of us, um, all of us, many of us redefine zero and then call it cushion. It's actually not a bad way to go, in my opinion. I have, what's interesting is, you know, I know people who have decided that 100,000 is zero, and I know people who are very comfortable regularly overdrawing their checking account. <laughs> so, and, and both groups can sort of be equally uncomfortable or comfortable. So, 
in, in Julie's case, she's saying I've set zero at 5,000 and if it dips below, anxiety goes up and if it stays above, anxiety is good to go. Fair, is that true, Julie? Yeah, pretty much. The other question I would ask you is, overall, what, what, how would you describe your sense of anxiety or lack of anxiety relating to money? Um, I actually like think money is easy. I think when you base your decisions on how much something costs, um, I think you miss out on opportunities regularly. And I think that there's always a way, like money will show up when, it, when it's needed. Um, so overall, I, I have a, a feeling that money, money is easy. Did you always feel that way? I think so. You don't remember like a, a an event or a transition where you, it was sort of. Well, there's there were there have been times if you know zero, you know if five thousand ended up being you know two thousand, then I thought, oh no, but what's happening? But ultimately, that that was very short lived. It wasn't um, for a long period of time. It was maybe. Um, a couple of weeks where I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. But yeah, overall, I think that um, the money will show up when it needs to. And in one way, one form or another, whether it's a job opportunity or whether it's um, working more hours or whatever. Uh, this is fascinating because I completely agree with you. And uh, I mean, I would recommend this approach to everybody, really. Uh, what's interesting about this, and the reason I was going to bring it up later in the call, is that for people who have um, low awareness of their finances and and high stress or anxiety about their finances, I'll encourage them to go through a period of very detailed tracking so that they can really understand how money works in their life. Oh, you got you. Go ahead. Yeah. So that brings up anxiety to get that detailed drives me insane. Tell me about it. Um, because I feel like it never works out. Um, okay, what never the, works out? The numbers, um, when I try to set a budget, the numbers never work. Like that month, my car needs something extra that I wasn't planning on, or um, the kids needed something medically that I wasn't planning on, or, or something like that. Like it never works out when I, detail it mm -hmm. if I don't detail it and just say I have this much money for this like it works out so what you're bringing up is so important right now and let me clarify when I'm talking about extremely detailed tracking I'm not talking about extremely detailed budgeting as in prediction I'm talking about extremely detailed tracking as in this is exactly where the dollars went and that I realize that's not what you're talking about because you're talking about budgeting Mm -hmm. But I want to talk about how, or at least want people to understand that I really encourage very detailed tracking for a period of time so that a person can understand what they're accustomed to. Like, oh, interesting. This, this amount of money is going there and that amount of money is going there. Now I, I understand that. And after they do that for a while, the benefits of it start to wear off. Their habits are pretty well established. And the very detailed tracking really only serves them if they want to change a specific habit and they need high awareness around that habit. So if there's a black box in their spending and they don't know what's in the black box, 
I encourage them to open the black box, look at it very closely for a while, and then form a new habit and go on about their business. Uh, by the way, everybody, the example I used on the earlier class was if any of you are familiar with like, uh, like an, uh, an approach to eating called tracking macros or tracking macronutrients, where it's like, I know exactly how many carbohydrates, proteins, and fats I'm eating on any given day. I'm kind of equating, have you ever heard of this? Oh, that drives me insane too. Yeah, clearly Julie's never gonna track macros and it's gonna work well for you because Julie, you're actually in the financial sense, you're more of what people would call an intuitive eater. Like if we're, if we're drawing the parallels between food and money. Yeah. I think there can be benefits for people who don't have your natural sort of ease around money to getting very detailed about it and kind of tracking macros in their finances for a period of time. And then as, after they've done that for a while, they can probably switch to a more intuitive approach like the one you're using and they'll be fine because now they understand, well, this is kind of what's typical in my life and here's where I feel comfortable. And these are people, you don't give me this impression, but there are some people who really struggle to operate within their own general parameters their peaks and valleys and their finances would be bigger than yours, for example. And I think they benefit from this very hyper-focused approach for a while, then switching to a more intuitive approach. My opinion about you, having heard what you say, is that you don't need to do budgeting in the traditional sense. I don't know that much will come from it. Now you could, because when you said it never works out, I would say that that is, a, that is a, an approach to budgeting that will always fail for everyone. Because no one, is, no one is clairvoyant, they can't anticipate the water heater going out perfectly or the roof needing to be replaced or a kid breaking their arm. Effective budgeting builds that in. So effect in my, I don't know if we'll ever do, if we'll do an actual budgeting class in money school because I don't know if it really fits with the theme of money school, but effective budgeting isn't about guessing the future it's about allocating the cash that's in your hand today and deciding whether you want to use the cash on this thing or on that thing. That is my approach to budgeting. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Sounds to me like in your life, you're able to sort of do this thing and that thing and not really feel loss or deprivation in either case. Um, for the most part, I mean, uh, if I have a more slim month as far as income goes, then I just don't spend as much because I just don't have as much to spend. So, and it's okay. Like you don't feel any particular lack. Not really. Um, no. And I did see a question that have I ever been in debt? And yes, I have been, but for the most part, that wasn't incurred by me. So. So folks, Julie is, I mean, I never want to say there's like a right or wrong way to do any of this. Julie is where a lot of us would like to be where her money is not causing her any particular like emotional challenges. Fair to say? Um. Somebody says Julie is gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, for the most part, I, I for sure look down the road and think down the future and everything like that. But in this present moment and for most of my life, yeah, I just, I just truly believe that the money will come in in some way, and it always has. So then, the the last question for you, uh, Julie, would be, or the question I'll leave this call with is, is Julie Zen 
or is Julie avoidant? Because sometimes avoidant disguises itself as Zen and it's okay if it's, it's either one, but I want everyone to hear me say that there are some people who kind of bound through life, like happy-go-lucky, like it'll all work out, but maybe the dead is creeping up and they don't like that or, or some. So sometimes Zen or sometimes avoidant disguises itself as Zen. Do you think there's any possibility of that with you? Yeah, for sure. Because um, I, I don't like balancing the books and I don't like looking at where it's going. And I just like looking at, um, and I'm totally great with looking at the totals. What's in my checking account? What's in my savings? What's in my retirement numbers? Okay, they're good. If So if I, earlier, I guess you already answered this. I said, if I asked you to really dig into historical spending and notice patterns in it, you said that would be a no for you. That would what do you think that would bring up for you? Oh, um, judgment. Like I might think that uh, I shouldn't be spending money here and I shouldn't be spending money there, that maybe it was indulgent or um, irresponsible or something like that. Yeah, this is kind of avoidance. And that's okay. You don't have to dig in. But if you are avoiding digging in because you worry about how you'll feel in doing it, I'm going to encourage you to do it and let yourself feel those feelings. Okay. And it's okay if you never do, but sometimes it, there's, there's real benefit to sort of opening up the black box and sifting through it and allowing ourselves to feel whatever we feel while we're doing that. Um, so, Super generous of you to come on screen with me. You reminded me of a story that I want to share, Julie, but thanks. And I hope to hear from you again in the future. Thank you. Okay. So everybody, the story I have for you is um, change role. Okay. The, the story I have for you is in, in, in 2013, I was that hyper-focused track every penny thermostat up one degree, down degree, like that was me in 2013. Today, I'm much more on the intuitive side. I'm very much like Julie, where I've got my savings set up on autopilot. I've got what I would define as a big cushion, which for me means uh, a large bank account balance that never gets touched. And again, debt large is relative. I've defined large and I have that in a bank account. So I'm very much on autopilot in my finances these days. And what's really interesting is I, I, over the years, I've kind of played a game like what is the size purchase where I feel like I have to stop and think about it. And in 2013, that was basically $1. I wouldn't spend $1 without stopping and thinking about it. In 2021, this is imprecise. Don't take this as like, quote unquote, truth. It's just sort of where my brain is today. But today, that number is probably about 500. If I'm going to think about spending 500 bucks, or if, or if Kate comes to me and says, hey, I want to do this thing. It's about 500 bucks. I'm like, Sure. I don't look at a bank account balance. I don't, I don't question. It's, yep, go ahead. If it were 5,000, I'm not there yet. So we can play these games and see what our sort of trigger number is as we're pursuing, if we want to pursue an intuitive approach eventually. But here's where I am in 2021 with sort of some hyper uh, or some more focused tracking. I've noticed recently, or when I was doing my compassionately curious sentences from last week's homework, one of the things I came up with was that guy eats out for lunch every single day. Well, basically every weekday. 
Sometimes Kate comes with me. Sometimes Kate doesn't come with me. If our son's around, the three of us will go eating out for lunch every single day. And I allowed myself to ask, I wonder why I'm doing that. And I let it sit for a couple of days and Kate and I would go for a walk and we'd talk through it. And I finally said to her, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I think I know why I eat out every day. I eat out every day because I feel like it's the only thing I have to look forward to. And she said, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I thought, but no, it doesn't make perfect sense. I have a great life. I love my wife. We like each other. I love my kids. You know, we, we live in a decent place and a decent home. I have a great business. I enjoy my work. The money is, the money feels good. I can't look at any part of my life and see any particular lack. I do stuff with my church. I really enjoy it. Why would I say to myself, or why would I have this belief? Well, yeah, I go out to lunch every day because it's all I have to look forward to. And then I let that kind of simmer a little bit more. And then I realized, you know what? I'm not putting enough energy or money for that matter into giving my life a little more interest. I'm not, I'm not taking a trip by myself even, you know, something Kate encourages me to do. Hey, go take a trip. Like, Go, go on a trip with your brother. Go, go do something for you. I'm not doing that. And I'm sort of plastering over that with lunch. And, you know, I mean, when I say that, it does actually sound so silly to me. But now that I've made myself aware of it and I've made, you know, whatever, several hundred people aware of it, I can say, all right, do I want to keep plastering over that with lunch? Or do I want to ask myself, what are you going to do? Like, do something, do something interesting, do something exciting instead of going to lunch every day. Still go to lunch, maybe for a different reason. So, for Julie and for all of us, when we're willing to dig into the details, if we can approach it with curiosity and compassion, what we'll discover, we might discover some things that open new doors to us. You know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to ask ourselves questions that we wouldn't normally ask ourselves. So I'm gonna trust you all to approach the exercise with curiosity and compassion. You're adults, you know how to sort, you know, deal with your own brains. Get yourself to a place of curiosity and compassion, and then go dig in to the details of the spending, asking yourself, why am I doing this? What am I getting out of it? Do I like what I'm getting out of it? Or would I prefer to get that in some other way? Maybe you'll discover things, actually, I love that, and I want more of it. Great. This is not, I think it's clear to you all interacting with me, this is not a cost-cutting exercise. Some cost-cutting is likely to come from it as you uncover your, your real desires and priorities, but some increase in spending will come from it. Now that I've uncovered this funny lunch thing, I don't know that that money will necessarily stop being spent and be available for you know, retirement savings or something. I may take it and spend it on a hobby or spend it on a trip. The point is not to pinch the pennies. The point is to understand what the pennies are giving me. And I will promise you that if you're feeling worried about doing it, 
that the, the short-term stress of raising your awareness is much better than the long-term stress of low awareness and ignorance. Promise you that. Now, having said that, there was somebody in the chat and I don't know if her hand is still up. There is a hand up and I'm happy to talk with that person if she still wants to talk. So maybe I'll go there. Uh, Bethany, your hand's up. And if you're and if you're up for chatting, I'm gonna put you on the screen and we'll chat for a second. If not, you got about three seconds to put your hand down. Okay, cool. Hi, Bethany. Hi, how are you? I am doing pretty good. Nice to meet you. Great, nice to meet you too. What's going on? Okay, so when you opened up or somewhere around when you were opening up, you're saying like what kind of feelings come up and I really took your homework to heart and I actually had a really good time <laughs> speaking in the third person like as Elmo, right? Yes, like Elmo. <laughs> yes. And um, one of the things because you're talking about paying attention to your budget or to your spending. One of my third person was she hasn't categorized any of 2020's financials. <laughs> I wonder why. So when you talked about looking at my spending, I thought I'll have to make up all last year. <laughs> First, as if I don't have today or, or yesterday to look at. I, I know I have to, like, I think I have to make up last year's first. What do you mean make up? Like go do all of last year's? Yeah. For, are we talking about for business or for personal? Oh, do you want to see, hear my other third person? Name? Yes, I do. Um, their business and personal finances are all intertwined. I wonder why. All right. So my, hus my husband's sitting right here. He's uh, present. <laughs> He's present and laughing at you, I hope. <laughs> He's right here. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we have his business, we have my business. He has a salary job as well. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And all the transactions are flowing from one account or two accounts or? Yeah, they're flowing basically from three accounts. So, okay, in a very practical way, I'll be the bookkeeper for a second and say, yeah, you're gonna have to do taxes. And so you probably gotta deal with this. I know a guy who can help, uh, but, but from, a, from a studying your spending perspective, you don't have to put any pressure on yourself to go through all of last year. I mean, there's just no, there's no need. And I'm really glad you bring it up because there will be people who feel anxious about this idea and they will bail themselves out of doing this at all by saying it's too big or too confusing. And I'm just here to remind everybody you can literally do this by opening up the credit card app on your phone, going to the transaction screen and scrolling with your thumb. That, that is a way to do this. And as you're doing that, just noticing the thoughts, noticing the feelings and working with those. Okay. Let me ask you a really quick question. Too. So we have uh, an accountant. Um, we've been with him for like 25 years. He's, he's amazing. He's got bookkeepers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to move on cause I do our, I don't do our taxes, but I give them information to do our taxes. Yep. And so I do do all of that. Um, my question is, is I'm, I'm tempted to hire this bookkeeper mm -hmm. to catch up 2020. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I'm having these conflict of, no, I'm supposed to do it because if I do it, then I'll be more aware and all these thoughts like that. And I'm thinking, but, but I may not do it. So if I hire him, then I can become aware of his findings, right? Yes, exactly. Now, so I'll say this to you and everybody. I, I even thought, and I still may do this. When I came up with this homework, I knew that I would be talking to people in your exact situation. And I thought I could do in 20 minutes what will take them hours. Yes. Right? So I thought I could offer a service where people pay us a small fee. We parse all their transactions out for them because we do this every day. And we're happy to do that. And your bookkeeper that you might hire, they're happy to do that. It doesn't have to cut you off from insight. It only cuts you off from insight if you use it as an excuse to then not go learn from what they organize for you. That makes sense? Yeah, totally fair. Yeah, we actually switched over to Quicken mm -hmm. and I do my taxes on October 14th. So do I. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so, and we just switched over Quicken. And so I don't, I, I don't know the software at all. Yeah. And man, I would just want to spend my time doing other things like, you know, making money in my own business. And oh. so I think I should hire them for what they love to do. And then I should continue to create for what I love to do. Yeah. So then your only job. Now, there are people who say uh, there are people who are fanatical about tracking their own spending because they feel like if they don't track every dollar themselves, they will lose the opportunity for insight. And I can just guarantee that that's not true because of a lot of personal experience. What it does require is once you have those, whatever format they give you those reports in, it requires the two of you to sit down with them and have an open discussion about the insights that the reports offer. Fair enough. So, because you could always say, well, I'm not gonna look at those reports today, I'm just gonna go make another dollar. <laughs> and, and, you know, high earners, especially, you know, entrepreneurial types, uh, who love to go make another dollar, they can do that for decades. I think that's the position my husband feels in. I'll just go make more. I'll just go make more. And that's really tough on him. If it's tough on him, he can choose a new path. It doesn't have to be tough on him because, I mean, you don't have to get into a lot of personal details, but the, the thing we can always do, everybody, is we can always sort of look at our balance sheet, our quote unquote balance sheet. And we can say, well, is the debt growing? Are the savings balances long-term? Are the savings balances creeping up? In the long-term, a person could take an approach of, yeah, I'll just go make another dollar. And that works if they're happy with the state of the debt and the state of the savings. If they're not happy with the state of the debt and the state of the savings, at some point we gotta say, all right, making another dollar has not actually been panning out the way I wanted to. I'm gonna start paying more attention. Yeah. I think that's where we're at is that the pain of the ignorance has exceeded <laughs> or no, let's see, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Right? Yes. The pain of ignorance has now exceeded the potential pain of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I was there 2013. I was like, all right, I just made a lot of money for the last five years. And what I have to show for it currently is amazing experiences, lots of new skills, $55,000 owed to the IRS, some money owed to Capital One, very little savings, and like devastated self-esteem. <laughs> this is, so, and it was like, mm, I wanna do something different now. And I headed in that direction. 
Cool. The simplest, uh, the simplest advice I'm gonna give you guys, Bethany, as business owners, separate the business transactions from the personal transactions. Today, you don't have to go back. I mean, you do have to go backwards, but don't worry about what happened in the past because if I were your bookkeeper, I would tell you, don't sweat it. I'll deal with last year's mess. You go open up a new checking account. So your business needs a checking account. His business needs a checking account. Uh, If you do joint finances in your marriage, joint checking account that is just personal transactions, credit card for your business, credit card for the family, credit card for his business. Don't give me any nonsense about points. (laughs) Because that's, oh, Mark, but I'll lose all the, shut up. Don't, no. (laughs) We're going to make a lot more money from this clarity than we would from those points if you were to run it all through one credit card. Separate them, respect each entity as its own thing. And that actually creates sort of its own magic for all of you who are listening, who are entrepreneurial, have a side hustle, have a full-time business. Respect your ent- respect that f- for the entity that it is by giving it its own accounts. Here's okay. the if you two are earners, and we're going to talk about that next week in the income class, um, income solves almost every problem. So people who are amazing at not spending can still struggle compared to people who are terrible about their spending, but amazing earners. Because it's easier to fix up my, it's, it's easier and quicker to fix up my spending than it is to fix up my income. So if you guys can earn, go earn. And just create a couple small habits that keep the spending a little more dialed in, keep your awareness higher and don't cause you stress from kind of April 15th to October 14th. <laughs> Deal. Okay. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to meet you and mystery man. <laughs> and the hand. <laughs> okay. Great to chat with you. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Somebody says, can you say that again? So I'm assuming you're, you're referring to, um, you're referring to what I just said about earning versus spending. I'll say this, I'll say some version of this again next week, but I think it's extremely healthy to develop a very clear understanding of your expenses to track them in a, in a micro way for a period of time something that will come out of this. This is what I discovered in 2013 when I decided I was going to be Mr. Frugal. And by the way, I was very happy as Mr. Frugal. 2013 was probably one of my best years of mental health as I was like hyper-focused on every penny and reducing my spending, all of it. I actually loved it. What I discovered was at a certain point, the expense cutting was over. Like I couldn't reduce my expenses anymore without substantially impacting the life that my family and I were accustomed to. So I either had to have a a fundamentally different life where I like homesteaded or something or moved (laughs) moved into an apartment, or I had to acknowledge that the time for cost cutting was over and it was time to go make more money. And like I said earlier, that set me back on the path to entrepreneurship. So if if I'm interacting with a person about their finances and they're feeling stressed or whatever, if that person is a high earner, 
a confident, better than high earner, if they're a confident earner, and I say to them, you know, things would be very different for you with an extra thousand bucks a month or an extra couple thousand a month. If I told you you had to go make an extra couple thousand dollars a month, could you? The person who can say, oh yeah, that's all you need me to do? Oh, okay, I'll go do that. They are going to have a comparatively easy time changing their financial facts, account balances, you know, whether debt or savings or whatever. They're going to have a, a comparatively easy time changing their financial facts relative to a person whose first thought is, I'm gonna reduce my expenses. Because reducing your expenses only takes you so far. At some point you realize there's not another thing to cut. We're not gonna reuse the paper towels. I probably, if I want to change my financial situation, it probably is gonna come from income, new income rather than cost cutting. My wife is in the chat. You have to tell them the Costco story. Are you talking about walking home from Costco? I love that we're in the chat with 229 of our closest friends. All right, so here's the Costco story. We're over time, but here's the Costco story. Part of my journey as Mr. Frugal in 2013 was I decided to be anti-driving. I was gonna ride a bike everywhere. I would go to a 5 a.m. gym class in Utah in January. I would ride a mountain bike four miles to the gym at five in the morning. This is the extent of how Mr. Frugal I was gonna be. I walked to work. That was a couple miles each way. That was brilliant, by the way. Great for my mental health, great for my physical health. And one day, I don't remember why I did this, but I was at work and Kate needed me to get some stuff from Costco. It was about a mile and a half from the office to Costco. And I thought, you know what? I don't need to drive. That's a waste of gas. I'm walking. So I, I met the office with the CFO or the COO of You Need a Budget. My good, he's a good friend. Not the, not the guy who employed me, but another guy who worked there. I'm like, hey, I'm walking to Costco. And he looked at me like, you're what? Why? I'm like, no, it's a thing I'm doing. I don't, I don't have to drive. I, I can walk to the grocery store. It's fine. I head out the door and he goes, um, do you want to take a backpack? And I was like, ah, backpack. Good idea. I was just headed out the door, barehanded, like, all right, let's go. I put on my backpack. I walked to Costco. I buy a, a not small number of things at Costco. Costco, you'll all recall, does not have grocery bags. And... So I'm checking out at Costco. They're like, do you want a box? And I was like, oh, a box. Yeah, give me a box. Well, it ended up being two boxes, not the smallest boxes, by the way. So I head out of Costco like this, boxes on each shoulder. And I head out the door at Costco and I head across the Costco parking lot. I'm like, here we go. Costco's on a main road and I'm, and I'm walking through the parking lot. I get halfway through the parking lot. Like, Man, my shoulders hurt. Have to put the boxes down for a second, readjust. Boxes back on the shoulders, head off across the parking lot to the main street. Get to the main street, walking down main street, lots of traffic driving by me, seeing crazy guy, boxes on both shoulders, headed back to the office. I see my neighbors driving down the road. They see me, I sort of half try to wave with the box in my hand or on my shoulder. Like, hi. they look at me and they do like the, like, they, like, what is Mark doing? And I, don't know if my neighbors know how weird I actually am, but those neighbors knew that day. 
as I'm headed down the street, I get about another quarter mile and my shoulders are really tired because I'm carrying two large boxes of groceries on them and I'm passing a grocery store, another grocery store. I'm like, this is perfect. So I walk up to the front door of that grocery store. I set my large Costco purchases on the ground. I walk into the grocery store and I steal mm, 10 grocery bags, <laughs> 10 grocery bags. And literally in the moment, I'm like, this is is this shoplifting? Am I shoplifting if I just walk into a grocery store and I just start taking their grocery bags, head back out the door, load my Costco purchases all into the grocery bags, leave the boxes there and head off down the road to the office. It got to the point where they were so heavy, my, my shoulders are on fire, my hands are in so much pain because I'm holding all these grocery bags, I'm walking down the road, and then I'm suddenly worried that the bags are gonna break. And if the bags break, I am dead because now I don't have the boxes. I left them back at the grocery store. And so I'm just going to be standing there with a huge pile of groceries on the ground and some broken grocery bags. So I'm like very gently walking down this road in my town with heavy groceries in these bags. And I'm just inching my way closer. And it's almost like the feeling is almost like you have to go to the bathroom really bad and you don't know if you're going to make it. It was like that, but with grocery bags that were going to break. So I'm just very gently walking and just tiptoeing and tiptoeing. I finally get back to the office where my car is parked, available for use, head up the stairs, friend sees me and he's like, so I guess you made it. And I was like, I made it. That was real dumb. I don't think I'll do that again. And, uh, from there on out, drove to Costco instead of walking. So, kept you a little late to tell you my ridiculous Costco story. Thanks, Kate. Be up in a minute, we'll watch TV. <laughs> the reason that story is probably useful is I'm kind of showing you all, I got weird for a while. I, I got, and I was willing to be even for me, unusually weird, because I really wanted to turn a corner in my way of dealing with money and my way of thinking about money. And yeah, after that, I decided, you know, I think I'll just drive to Costco. Oh, that's not true because sometimes I would hook up the kid's bike trailer and I would ride the bike with the bike trailer Costco and I would load up the bike trailer. That for the record was brilliant. Would do it again today. Folks, don't overthink your homework, study your spending, have, you know, be compassionate with it, be curious about it, learn from it. And like I said earlier, do the low tech version first, where it's just, you can print statements, you can scan on your phone or on your computer screen. And then if you're not confident to export like a spreadsheet style uh, transaction history from your bank or your credit card and put it into an actual spreadsheet, recruit a nerdy person in your life and have them help you because the insights you'll gain from, uh, from organizing the information in that way and comparing it, they will really be powerful for you. Thanks for spending some time with me tonight. I look forward to next week's call. You can watch your inbox for these recordings and uh, maybe for some helpful kind of aids to do this process. And I'll talk to you next Wednesday. See ya.